Emerging science and technological advancements continue to change how we think about life itself. And, as it turns out, how we think about death. Welcome to the Abstract Podcast from Inverse. I'm Tanya Bustos, your host. Our first story is about TikTok, the app best known for looping videos of dancing celebrities and teenagers. It's also home to an account that found the short-form format an ideal medium for sharing snippets of information about the human body. The TikTok account for the Institute of Human Anatomy has more than 4.5 million followers, and human cadavers are the stars. Our second story is about a funeral concept that is becoming increasingly accepted across the United States, strange as it may sound, human composting. This is The Abstract, a look at the latest scientific discoveries and technology innovations from the reporters at Inverse. In each show, we explore a single theme through two different stories— In this first episode, somewhat inappropriately for a new podcast, we're exploring how science is altering our understanding of death. There are some strange videos on TikTok. One science account might win for the strangest. Home to over 4 million fans and dead people, cadaver researchers essentially stretch open the abdominal cavity of human cadavers and teach us a few things. How did such a channel make TikTok fascinated with the dead? So this may seem a little strange, but believe it or not, this is not your stomach. Your stomach is all the way up here, behind the liver. So when you're saying that your stomach hurts, you're really saying your intestines hurt. That's what these are. These are your small intestines, not your stomach. Noted. I should also note that what you just heard and didn't see, if you're eating, you're welcome, was a graphic illustration of said stomach by way of a cadaver on TikTok. At the Institute of Human Anatomy, a Salt Lake City, Utah cadaver lab, Justin Cottle uses the popular new TikTok medium to do this often. His channel has no less than 4 million viewers as of March 2020. TikTok is home to endless short-form mobile videos with lip-syncing, dancing, and whatever other talent one can come up with. Like these, these are some of the most popular of this past year. This apparently was, uh, this got 6 million people to tune in. It was Dancing for Donuts. Uh, This guy with pink hair, box of donuts, sign that says Dance for Donuts, and then people do it. I would. Okay, here we have the most coconuts smashed with one hand in one minute. A really popular one is the dinosaur prank. Basically, people um, are being scared out of their mind by a fake T-Rex on the street. It's it's actually funny. <laughs> Whether it's just breaking chalk and doing random soothing kind of things, uh, this one is scraping. This person just scrapes. So this is your garden variety TikTok video of the norm. However, you don't need to be a magician or a dancer or a coconut smasher. A testament to TikTok is that even dead body experts can make human cadavers superstars. So how did this specific channel emerge from TikTok as something so different and yet successful? Let's ask Inverse staff writer Emma Batwell, who is joining us right now. Hey, Emma. Hi, Tanya. How are you? I'm good. Um, So have you been watching uh, any TikTok videos in your quarantine as of late? Actually, yes. I've been watching probably like 200% more TikTok since I've been quarantined, for sure. 
as are we all TikTok, YouTube. I think we're all going through rabbit holes. But um, it's interesting because it seems like TikTok in its short time is is seeing an evolution of sorts from, you know, these wacky music videos or what have you to this weird yet efficient way to get more serious information out there. Do you think that this particular channel is is the perfect example of that? Yeah, I think that this channel is a, is a great example of that. So I, TikTok is sort of following a pretty natural progression for social media platforms. I think that they start off feeling kind of frivolous and fun and taking pictures or doing whatever. And then basically people just get really smart about using them for different kinds of content. So um, even right now for coronavirus, we've seen the World Health Organization open a TikTok account. Um, we've seen, I mean, a hand-washing video go viral on yeah. TikTok. Um, and these guys at the Institute for Human Anatomy, they've been using TikTok to do science communication essentially for, for months. So starting at the end of 2019, they started making TikTok videos that featured real human cadavers um, in which they answer people's questions about the body and they basically just try to talk people through human anatomy in these 15-second videos. This channel's specific success begs so many more questions and, you know, I wonder if it says something about our human interest. Do we have this innate desire to understand the body, in and the dead body no less, in certain ways becomes the question. You were able to kind of get to the bottom of a little bit of that. Yeah. So in terms of just to give you a sense of how popular this account is, I mean, in September of 2019, they had almost 300 Instagram followers and they didn't have any YouTube videos. And the, when we published the story, they had 42,000 followers on Instagram. They had 20, uh, 2,000 uh, 220,000 subscribers on YouTube and 4 million followers on TikTok. So they have a really, really passionate following. I think that definitely does come down to the content that they're making. I think that historically, when you look at, we, there's sort of a historical fascination with a, a sort of taboo around human cadavers and, and using human bodies for science. Um, we've seen that historically. Um, in just in terms of people sort of being, you know, it being illegal to do human dissections, which is thankfully no longer the case. Now we do um, anatomical dissections all the time and people who donate their bodies to science, it's a really, really admirable thing that they do. Um, but I think that that taboo is still kind of there and that in a sense definitely does drive some of the interest. Though a lot of people who are looking at these videos are just really excited about having medical careers or going into physical therapy or just are really excited to learn about the body. So I think it's a little bit of that like taboo nature and just like a general interest in science that are kind of coming together. Right. And, you know, considering the taboo nature and the sensitive subject matter, you figure the team, these cadaver researchers, there's a fine line in terms of bringing this through such a lighter medium. Um, how do they approach that? Yeah, that was really hard. So when they uh, Justin Cottle is the guy uh, who stars in most of the videos. So when they set out to, or when Justin set out to do this, he actually contacted TikTok because they knew that your average content management algorithm is definitely going to flag this content. It is, I mean, for lack of a better word, a dead human body. Um, so that definitely violates a lot of the rules, even if what they're intending to do is something very different. They're intending to really like sort of show you like, not glorify 
human anatomy, but definitely give you like a really realistic measured approach to it. But an algorithm doesn't see that. An algorithm just sees like a kidney or a heart. It doesn't really see the whole like medical ethics around body donation. So they reached out to TikTok and TikTok put them in contact with a bunch of context, uh, content strategists. So they just basically had to go through this trial and error stage where they made a bunch of videos and they would see what would get taken down and what wouldn't be. So, I mean, they kind of came up with a few rules, like hands most of the time ended up upsetting the algorithm. It would get taken down or flagged. Um, there's also sort of this weird reaction that happens when um, embalming fluid interacts with blood and that was not great for TikTok, but eventually they kind of figured out this sort of visual style that really works for them and doesn't get them in any trouble with the algorithm. And furthermore, do they get any specific blowback? You know, not just these messy algorithms, but in general, what's the blowback like? The blowback isn't what you might expect. You get some, most people who go to the page sort of get what it's about pretty quickly. Um, But occasionally you see some pretty disrespectful comments on, under videos, I mean, people likening, uh, I don't really want to repeat them, but sort of disrespectful things. Um, and that's definitely something that's there and that they're aware of. But there are far, I would say that far and away, there are many more comments along the lines of like, I love this page or like, I'm a PT student and I look at this all of the time. Um, I think, yeah, I think definitely the, the, the content can rankle people. And if you don't expect it in your feed and it just sort of pops up, it can be really jarring. But in general, people don't seem to be too outraged. They seem more to be like either morbidly interested, maybe hinging on disrespectful or just genuinely fascinated. Yeah, absolutely. But ultimately times are changing, you know, culture changes and new learning tools emerge, new mediums emerge as we're seeing Um, And as weird as this might be right now, maybe we'll look back on this and not only see it making sense, but par for the course. I mean, that's TikTok for you. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that one of the founders of the Institute of Human Anatomy brought up, which I thought was kind of a cool point, was, I mean, if we had given, I mean, the people who would otherwise probably never see a cadaver, people who don't go into medicine or are just on TikTok are now seeing a human cadaver in pretty visceral detail. Um, And the hope is that maybe that inspires somebody who didn't even know that they were interested in this to be interested in it. And that's something we probably won't know for, you know, decades at least. Yeah. It was a really fascinating look at a different angle at TikTok. And so I really appreciate the time. Emma, thanks so much. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Tanya. Our environmental impact remains even after we die. But green new burial options could help make them more meaningful. The abstract looks at how human composting is emerging as an environmentally friendly alternative to traditional death rites. In this world, nothing is certain except death and taxes. Most of us would rather not think about either, but when it comes to leaving your final footprint on the planet, one concept is becoming increasingly accepted across the United States, human composting. Up next, becoming a tree in your afterlife, sort of, and how human composting could revolutionize the way we look at death. Not special. You are not a beautiful or unique snowflake. You are the same decaying organic matter as everything else. You're all part of the same compost heap. 
It's an idea that's gaining some traction, human composting, and we do think you're special. We used to call it natural organic reduction, and lately this human composting idea is becoming more widely accepted. Most recently, it was made legal in 2020 in Washington state. Grassroot advocacy groups are trying to normalize it across the nation. Put plainly, it converts human remains into soil in this natural organic reduction. The remains are left to relatives to scatter on plants or a tree, ultimately becoming the nutrients on which they can thrive. Previously, the technology has only been used to manage livestock carcasses, but if its advocates are successful, they could help pave the way for bringing green burial options and human composting to a town near you. It may seem like a more natural burial method, but it's actually a delicate procedure that takes place in a lab. Again, it uses the same process as livestock composting, which decomposes big animal carcasses like cows on farms. Lynn Carpenter-Boggs, professor of soil science and sustainable agriculture at Washington State University, recently spoke to Inverse about how this all works. As part of her research, she led six pilot trials on six donor bodies to test human composting. While her findings have not yet been submitted for publication or peer review, here she speaks at the American Association for the Advancement of Science about the process. In our pilot study, we got to full skeletonization and the commercialized processes are likely going to use um, more thorough physical disruption. What comes back to the family is uh, very, very acceptable and yeah, no, no visible signs of their, their loved one. Traditional death rites like burial and cremation consume a lot of energy, money, and other resources, not to mention the various environmental costs. According to experts, human composting could be the practical solution to solve all of the above. But we may need to let go of the idea that human composting just means leaving a body underground to rot. Here to help us understand the actual science of it all and that the reality is far more environmentally friendly is senior science editor, Claire Cameron. Hey, Claire. Hi. So um, just a quick primer to help us understand the process. Can you walk us through how the essentials of human composting work? Yeah, sure. So human composting is very different to what the name might suggest. Um, the name sounds quite natural, um, but it's actually a very managed process that would have to take place in a lab um, before the material that was produced then went into the ground. Um, so it's um, similar to other forms of controlled composting. Um, basically, like you would be putting the body into a specially designed vessel that was also filled with um, plants and wood chips and straw. And then it would basically... Um, have these microbial communities that are within it um, and that those microbial communities would break down the body um, over a period of time um, and that's how it would work. Mm -hmm. We have um, some good visuals at inverse.com for listeners to check out. Um, our story went into the hidden environmental issues associated with the traditional process so to that, how does human composting resolve or address some of these issues and, you know, further help the environment? 
if anything, it reduces the amount of methane gas that would be produced um, by other um, more traditional forms of burial, where you would have a similar process, but on a um, very different time scale um, and in a far less compo um, controlled environment. Um, at the same time, cremation, which is another traditional form of um, burial or, you know, a funerary practice um, releases a lot of um, greenhouse gases into the air, so it's not the most environmentally friendly method either. So aside from, you know, the environmental impact, what's interesting is there's this poetic idea that you can be this nutrition for a tree and, you know, help provide oxygen and then furthermore, become this aesthetic landscape, if, if you will, to the planet. Uh, many people seem to have taken to that part of it as well. It's, um, it's, it's certainly got that kind of appeal. Yeah, one of the characters in our story, um, she does have that sort of ideal that she would become the fuel for... Um, a tree or other natural life. And I think a lot of people take a lot of solace in that idea that they would be giving back to the earth. Right. And despite this kind of enthusiasm, both, you know, for the green impact and just, you know, whatever fulfillment one gets from it, it's early in the game and there's still a lot to work out when it comes to how human composting works in practice. Um, what does need to be ironed out? Are there still some concerns that are at play? I mean, I think a lot of people have a lot of concerns about this. It's, you know, very far and away from the traditional burial process um, and, a lot of people might think it's kind of icky. It is legal now in Washington state and there are movements in other states to make human composting at least a legal form of burial that people can then pursue um, through these private companies. Another thing that needs to be worked out is just, you know, making sure that the science is down, that we know exactly what is going on within the labs and that that is highly regulated and controlled. And to these private companies, um, do you get a sense that maybe the private companies were a little more ready for this? Like you said, the public might still have that ick factor about it, but um, I just wonder how, um, you know, the business side finds it or is open to it. Well, in terms of the process, it's not too far and away from things that are already ongoing um, in composting other uh, natural materials. Um, but I think that, you know, the biggest hurdle is probably the legality factor. Um, so there's a bill in New York State's assembly now um, to discuss making it legal, but we're, we're a long way from that yet. Yeah, I guess, like you said, there's that ick factor that we also have to overcome. But I mean, it's a super fascinating look at uh, some different ideas out there and that are gaining traction. So I encourage listeners to check out more at Inverse.com. Claire, thanks so much. Okay, thank you. Head to Inverse.com to read more about how science is changing how we deal with death and the unknown. You can click on the link in the show notes for all stories we talked about today. If you agree that science and facts matter more than ever, give us a rating and review on iTunes to help more people find The Abstract and other podcasts like it. New episodes of The Abstract are released three times a week. Find old episodes and more original reporting on science, innovation, culture, and entertainment at Inverse.com. Look for The Abstract Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast app you use. 
For Inverse, I'm Tanya Bustos. Thanks for listening.